Morning, Crosspoint. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, as Dave said, my name is Joel Zare. I'm one of the elders here at Crosspoint. Last name like Zare, some of you may think that I grew up around in this area. Uh, you've seen that last name, but I, I didn't. I grew up one state away over in Indiana. I actually grew up in the same uh, house that my father and his brother and sister grew up in when they were children. In fact, I actually shared the same bedroom with my brother that my father and his brother, my uncle, shared when they were children. We even actually used the same set of bunk beds in this room that they had used. Uh, my brother was in the bottom bunk, me being the older brother. Clearly, I got the top bunk. Um, and we had enough space in this bedroom for a small dresser where we shared our things. And then there was this weird kind of walk-in closet. I don't want you to get the picture that there was uh, like this big walk-in closet with lots of shelves, very brightly lit. Now, it was, it was a small walk-in closet, had kind of angled roof. There was one space along the side for our clothes, and there was a single, single pole light right there in the middle. On uh, the back wall, if you look closely, there was some glow-in-the-dark paint that my uncle had painted on when he was a small child. And if you were careful, you could take a flashlight, hold it up to it, and it still even had some glow in it from however long ago it was put there. Uh, but this closet, during the day, it didn't really cause me any problems. But at night, when I was going to my bedroom, I was absolutely terrified by this thing. I was afraid of this closet, what might be in there, uh, in the dark, in the shadows back in that closet. Every time I'd walk to that doorway of my bedroom, that closet would draw my attention. Fear has a weird way of doing that, of kind of drawing your attention to one way, capturing your attention, capturing my heart in that moment and going, okay, what's going to be coming out of there next? Now, nothing ever did, but my attention was always drawn there. I'd run to my bed, I'd pull the covers up over me, and I'd make sure that there's nothing coming out of that closet. That caused me so much fear. I'm raising two boys, and I've seen fear capture their attention from time to time as well. Uh, if you've had children or you are a child, you've probably been fearful of times of being separated from your parents uh, in a crowd. You might just be fearful of people in general. Right? As you grow up and as I grew up, that, that closet didn't have the same type of effect on me as I came into my teenage years. Um, teenagers tend to be fearful of different things. I've been teaching at a high school for 16 years now. And I can tell you that high schoolers tend to have a lot of fears as well. They may fear what's going to happen with their parents they may fear about their own future, and I can tell you day in and day out, they're fearful of what their friends might think of them. Um, that, is, that is a common theme that I've heard from teaching in a high school for 16 years. And some of us like to think that we grow out of those fears as well, that fear is something that you, you tend to grow out of as you get to be an adult, but I'm sure all of us as adults can attest to the fact that there are things in this life that we're afraid of as well. We fear for our children's safety. We fear for our own safety. We fear for our parents' We still fear what people think of us. Those things don't change no matter what age you get to. So I want us to think about today, this morning, about how fear can have this way of capturing our attention, capturing our heart, and pointing it in a certain direction. We're going to read from the book of Luke here shortly, and Jesus is going to talk about fear. He's going to talk about fear that points us to a right relationship with God. And he's going to speak about fear that points us away from that right relationship with God. I'd love if you guys would open your Bibles with me this morning to Luke chapter 12. Last week, uh, we ended through Luke 11 into the beginning of 12 where Jesus was pronouncing woes to the Pharisees that he was speaking with. And eventually turns his attention to his disciples. There's a crowd gathering. And we're going to start off in verse 4 this morning where Jesus is addressing his disciples as he calls them 
friends. So what I'd like to read with you this morning from verses 4 through 7 to start with. Luke 12, 4 through 7 says, I say to you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body and after that can do nothing more. But I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Indeed, the hairs on your head are all counted. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. See, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. These are men that he's called to his ministry. These men had seen Jesus perform miracles before their very eyes. They'd watch massive crowds gather to listen to Jesus and hear him teach. Peter, one of Jesus' own disciples, had made the declaration that Jesus was the Christ of God. These same disciples had retreated in private to learn from Jesus. They'd asked him how to pray and he'd taught them. And they were now on a journey with Jesus towards Jerusalem. And throughout all this time, Jesus knew what awaited him. He knew that he would be rejected by people. He knew that he would suffer and be crucified. And he knew that he would bear the weight of the sin of mankind in order to redeem the lost. He knew what was to come. And Jesus also knew that his disciples didn't yet know or understand what God had planned. See, even though the disciples didn't know what Jesus or what God had planned, Jesus did. So he's telling his disciples here not to fear man, the one who can only kill the body and then after that has nothing more that they can do. Now, I read that for the first time and I, I, I think, I'm 37 years old. I've been on earth for a little more than 37 years and, and death does invoke some kind of fear in me. Yet it's in the reading of the, the next part of the passage that we hear um, who we are truly to fear. I think about the temporal and the limited scope of my life here on earth. And then I think of Jesus' words saying, fear him who has the authority to throw people into hell after death. Here Jesus is putting the almighty and ultimate powerful God in stark contrast to what man is capable of doing. While man can do nothing more than kill in an earthly way, God has all the power and all the authority will divinely judge all of humanity. And so it's here in this moment as we're starting to contemplate the nature of God that it's a good idea for us to pause and think about some of the attributes of the God that we serve. So first, our God is unchanging. It's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So you think about God, our God is eternal. Always has been, is today, and always will be. Our God's omnipresent, all places at all times. And our God's omnipotent, knows all. The God Jesus is speaking of here is holy, and he's just. And as we think and reflect even now and in the hours and days to come on just a few of those attributes of God, we begin to see who we're truly to fear, that we should fear God's judgment more than man's. So it's this statement that Jesus says to his followers to remind them to not let their fears of what might happen to them in this life capture their attention and capture their hearts and draw their attention away from their heavenly father into the things of man. 
as I was studying this, that word fear can invoke kind of some strange emotions when it's connected with God. I've heard questions about, are we only to serve God out of this fear to avoid some type of punishment? But as you read on the gospel, we learn that that's not the case at all. As Christians, we need to hold the attributes of God's justice and his holiness right alongside the attributes of grace and mercy and love that we sang about here this morning. And we see this kind of fleshed out in verses 6 and 7. I'd like to repeat those to you where Jesus says, Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Indeed, the hairs on your head are all counted. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. See, Jesus pointing right now to sparrows and birds that have been sold in the marketplace um, I don't know if any of you have been to the store lately, but we don't see too many sparrows being sold in the marketplace. The only time you might see live birds are the ones that swoop in past the double doors at Walmart, like floating around in the rafters up there trying to find their way out. So although that might be a reference we catch right now, I'm pretty certain uh, most of you heard some birds sometime today. I woke up to the sound of them in my yard just this morning. I was out playing with some neighborhood kids yesterday, and they were in the trees. I see them all over the place. And I can tell you that the ones that show up in my yard, I don't know where they came from. Uh, I, I don't know where they're going. I don't know where their nests are. I can't tell a single one of them apart. Uh, my grandmother was uh, a aficionado and loved watching birds and could even tell some of the ones that came to her uh, bird feeders apart. I can't tell them apart. Yet what Jesus is saying is you're the same God who created each and every one of those birds, knows every little intimate detail of their life, knows who you are. He's creating a picture to show us that he cares for each and every one of his pieces of his creation, yet loves you so much more. Jesus goes on to illustrate this by counting the number of hairs on your head. Now, I, I said I teach a moment ago. I actually am a math teacher. And so when I hear things associated with numbers, I, I tend to, my ears perk up and I start to think a little bit more about that. And so I contemplate, I wonder how many hairs there are on the human head. And so I did what anyone does in 2021 and I Googled it. Right? And so it turns out the number is about 100,000. Um, and if you talk to my students, and I heard Kevin chuckling up there, um, some of us, that 100,000 number is probably a little high for us. Uh, my students would tell me that's the case for me as well. But on average, it's about 100,000 hairs. And so I got my calculator out, as anyone does, and started to do some calculations about how long would it take to count to 100,000. Right? Just to give me a picture of what this God is we're talking about. And so after doing some calculations... It turns out it would take about two full days of counting. When I say full days, I'm not talking eight-hour days. We're talking 18 to 20 hours for two days solid with four to six hours to sleep and to eat and to do whatever else you need to do. And that's just to get to that number 100,000 on one single person's head. If you scale that up to just the size of Eureka, around 5,000, it's going to take you upwards of 25 years to get to that point of day in and day out. You scale that up to Woodford County or to Illinois or to the entire world, the number becomes so big, my calculator couldn't hold it, my brain couldn't hold it, neither could yours. And so as we contemplate and think about the fact that the God that knows each and every bird and has counted the numbers of hairs on your head knows you, that should put us in a state of reverent awe and reverent fear towards the God of the universe that's created everything. You see, this is the God who knows you intimately. This God knows every act of rebellion that you or I have ever committed. God knows every current struggle that you're facing, whether that's something that you're holding privately 
and haven't shared with anyone, whether it's something in a marriage with a child or a parent, or something you have going on in your neighborhood or your workplace. God knows every secret sin that you've ever tried to hide away in the darkness. And God knows every fleshly desire that you've ever had yet. God showed his love for us in this, that while you and I were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, several weeks ago, I was captured by a statement Dave made about decisive commitments and daily decisions. So as we hear about this God of the universe, if you've yet to make that decisive commitment where you've confessed your sins to God, you've received his forgiveness and placed your trust in Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you that there's no better time than the present to make that decisive commitment. And those of us that are found in Christ, my brothers and sisters in Christ here, I want to encourage you as we contemplate that God of the universe that knows every hair on your head, that that would inform and would help us to determine what the daily decisions are that we'll make in our lives as well, to live in a reverent and awe-filled uh, fear of our Creator. See, as followers of Christ, there's this tension that we should be feeling. There's a tension between the idea that we should tremble before a holy and awesome God but there's a rejoicing as we're singing this morning of the love that God has for us as well. And we live in that tension day in and day out. And I'm certain that Jesus' disciples felt that same thing. They were in the presence of Jesus, but there were always these moments of fear of mankind, fear of what might happen to them that would take and draw their attention away from their Holy Father and to whatever their circumstances were in that moment. So in the face of all this being drawn to the fear of man and being drawn by Jesus back to a reverent fear of their Holy Father, Jesus is encouraging his disciples to continue in their ministry and to maintain that proper fear. So the question is, how do we do that? How did Jesus' disciples maintain um, that proper fear of the Lord? Well, I'd like you to read with me in chapter 12, verses 8 through 12, as we finish our reading for today. It says, Jesus states, and I say to you, Anyone who acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But whoever denies me before others will be denied before the angels of God. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Whenever they bring you before the synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. See, Jesus goes on to tell his followers that they must acknowledge him before others. So that word acknowledge in some of your translations may be the word to confess. When you research that word, it means to say the same thing as or to agree with. So what we're called to here is to attest to who Jesus Christ is. We're to affirm what is true about him. We can see this clear in the text about who Jesus says that he is. Jesus tells his followers that they're to confess him before others so that he might confess them before his Father in heaven. See, Jesus knows that he is our way to the Father. We hear him declare that not only here, in the Gospel of Luke, but also in the Gospel of John, when Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. 
No one comes to the Father except through him. See, we often get it caught in our heads and hear messages uh, from the world that we need to somehow clean ourselves up first. Right? That there's, there's things that we can do that somehow will put us in a right standing with God. Even if we would confess our mouth that that's not true, we tend to sometimes live that way. We think that there are good deeds that we can somehow do that will earn our salvation. That there are so many people that we can help. That there's a quota to fill and that's how we end up in a right standing with God. We're tempted in moments to think, you know, I may not be perfect, but, you know, I'm better than, and then we fill in the blank with a name of somebody that we know uh, that clearly is farther than God from us. Yet if we are to understand who God truly is, we think about the idea that we serve an almighty God. If we think that we can somehow earn our way into a right relationship, that call to fear God should stand firmly each and every moment of our lives. Because there's no amount of good deeds that we can do. There's nothing that we can do to earn our own salvation. See, the big important point here is, though, is Jesus is telling us that he is the way to the Father. So we have an advocate. We have a high priest in Jesus Christ who paid the debt of our sin. And we're called by Jesus to confess him before man if we're to be acknowledged in the heavenly courts. And so what does this confession look like? We read in Romans chapter 10, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. We're called to share who Christ is in our daily lives, our everyday daily lives. If you've been made a new creation in Christ, it should be evident in your words. We've been given this ability to communicate with one another, and those words should share who Christ is in our daily lives. A few weeks ago, I was talking with a friend about opportunities that have been missed for evangelism, where people ask us questions about, well, you've behaved differently in that scenario than I would have expected, or your marriage seems real solid. Why is that? And we, we sometimes just say, well, it's, it's the way it is, or we just kind of toss off to something else, and take um, we don't take stock of the fact that the reason that those things have happened in our lives is because Christ has changed us and made us a new creation. We're not willing to share those things. Off right, and oftentimes it goes back to the very beginning of this passage. The fact that we are more fearful of what man might think or say than living in, in a reverent and awe-filled fear of our holy creator God. The fear, again, it has that way, a weird way of capturing our attention and turning it away from God to the things of this world. Yet a confession of Christ requires us to deny ourselves. You see, Jesus says as much earlier in Luke. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You see, the very act of confessing requires that we give up each and every area of our life to God. That we no longer are living for ourselves, but that we live for Christ. We must echo the words of Paul in his letter to the Galatians when he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that we now live we live in the that we live in the body, we live by faith in the Son of God. And Paul says, who loved me and gave himself up for me, as he did for each of you. 
You see, a confession of Christ is a life lived for Christ. It's not only in our words, though. It's in our actions, in our thoughts, and in each part of our daily life. A confession of Christ should reflect a changed heart that follows Christ in daily life. So even just now, in the rest of this day, as you speak with friends, a confession of Christ should be reflected by a changed heart in Christ. The way that you speak with your friends should reflect a changed heart in Christ. We had a marriage conference last Wednesday and again this upcoming Wednesday. And so your marriage, the way that you love your spouse, should reflect a changed heart in Christ. Many of you have had children. We have plenty of children back there and sun chasers as well that are worshiping together. The way that we parent our children should reflect a changed life in Christ. Many of us will go back to work tomorrow. The way that we interact with our fellow coworkers. If you're a boss, the way that you treat your employees, the way that you respect your boss if you have one, those actions should reflect a changed life in Christ. It's a beautiful day outside as we leave from this place. We'll interact with neighbors and see people that we know in Eureka and the area around. The way that we interact with our neighbors should reflect a changed life in Christ. Continue on this passage. We see what happens, though, for those that do not confess Christ. Jesus says, those who deny him before me will be denied before the angels of God. See, Christ doesn't give any room for any middle ground here. There's no one foot in and one foot out. There's no sitting on the fence. There's no halfway about this. Confessing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior in our conversations needs to be a part of our everyday life. But keeping in mind those fears of this world are going to be drawing us away. They they work to capture your attention and to capture your heart and turn you to a place where you're in a posture of fear towards what others might say about what you might tell about Christ. And this healthy fear and reverent awe of our Lord should draw our attentions away from those fears of man. It can be so much more comfortable just to acknowledge things like our favorite sports team, uh, favorite pastime, what's going on in the lives of our children, our own lives, to talk about what's going on in the news here without ever actually invoking the fact that even those things have been shaped and changed by the fact that we're a new creation in Christ. And so we want to let these words of Jesus convict us today as followers of Christ that we are to confess him as a way of life. Now, so far, Jesus has shared that um, the one to fear is God the Father. He said that he sent the Son, Jesus Christ, the one that we are to confess. And he goes on here in the end of the passage to share that there is one who's our helper, the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus says, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. You see, if speaking a word against the Son of Man could not be forgiven, then you and I, none of us would be saved. Each and every follower of Christ is just a sinner who's broken God's law and is saved by the grace of God. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That's you, brother and sister in Christ. And that's me. We've been saved through the grace and the salvation offered by Jesus at the cross. We confess Christ as our Lord and Savior, knowing that we have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone. And God's Holy Spirit has revealed that truth of salvation in Christ to each and every Christian. 
See, Jesus then goes on to state that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. It's an interesting passage to contemplate. We see some evidences that earlier on in uh, chapter 11 of Luke. We see where Jesus is um, cast out a demon, and there's people who are attributing his work to Satan. We see as we travel into the parts of Luke that we studied last week where the Pharisees have hardened their hearts against the words of Jesus. Whereas what he's calling them to should lead to repentance and confession. Instead leads the Pharisees to say, we are going to try and find a way to get rid of him. We, we are not going to listen to the words of Christ. In the same passage, if we read on in Luke, you'll see one of Christ's own followers, Peter, will go on to even... Um, deny Christ three times while Jesus is walking towards his crucifixion. I don't want us to get those two things mixed up because this idea of an immediate and um, instant denial is what we see Peter doing, but this heart of the heart and the rejecting of the Holy Spirit is what we see out of the attitude uh, of the Pharisees. One commentator describes the difference between speaking against the uh, Son of God and blaspheming the Holy Spirit in this way. The difference between speaking against the Son of Man and blaspheming the Spirit is that speaking against the Son of Man is an instant rejection, while blaspheming the Spirit is a permanent decision of rejection. So we see in Peter, even, who would go on to deny Christ three times, that he would confess, that he would go on to live a life in ministry for Christ, that he would confess Christ as Lord and Savior throughout the rest of his life. And we see that standing in stark contrast to the permanent rejection of the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Permanently rejecting the testimony of the Holy Spirit is to reject God the Father's plan for salvation through Jesus the Son. See, yet for those that confess Christ, the Holy Spirit empowers us to live out the Great Commission and to declare Christ as Lord and Savior. We see this in the final verse and a half of our passage from today when Jesus says, Whenever they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, don't worry about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. See, Jesus knows what awaits his disciples. He knows that this world, along with the fears that it can invoke, are going to work to turn their attention away from their Heavenly Father and focus on the fears of this life. So he shares with them this reminder that the Holy Spirit will go with them. It's evidenced throughout the New Testament in many ways. In Acts chapter 4, we see where the same Peter who denied Christ three times, speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit in front of leaders and religious leaders to tell them that Christ is the only way to salvation. In Sun Chasers, back through those double doors, back in early January, we studied Stephen, who even in the face of death declared Christ as Lord and Savior. You read throughout the New Testament as you read Paul's letters that even in the face of imprisonment, and suffering, he spoke boldly for Christ. Christians, you and I have been given that same Holy Spirit to confess Christ in our day-to-day, -day, daily lives. As even I say that, I think, and I'm sure there's many of you who think, well, I'm, I'm not Peter, right? I, I'm not Paul, and I'm, I'm not Stephen, right? You're each an individual created by God. Yet that same fear of man can creep in and take and focus on our attention, capture it and turn it away from our Holy Father to the fears of this life. So I want to encourage you with a passage of just a plain old person from John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, there's a man that encounters Jesus. This is a man who is blind, 
and Jesus restores his sight. After this happens, you can imagine that there's some um, kerfuffle about where did this happen, whose power was this that caused this man to be able to see. And throughout all this, the parents of this man are actually brought before the Pharisees. It's recorded in John chapter 9 that the Pharisees asked him, by whose power does he receive his sight? And it says that the parents were afraid. Each and every one of us has fears in our lives as well. And so the parents said, well, ask our son. He's of age. Because they were afraid of what might happen to them. And so they bring the son before the Pharisees. And they ask him the same question, by what power did you receive your sight? Now, this isn't a man that would have been respected in the community. This is a man that wouldn't have had any social standing. This is not a man who had any theological training. But he simply stated what he knew to be true. He said, I, I was blind, and now I can see. He said, I, I was one way, and I encountered Jesus Christ, and now I'm completely different. You don't need some type of polished, polished speech to talk about Jesus. You don't need any fancy words. You just need to share how you've been made a new creation in Christ, not only in our words, but the way we live out our daily lives. In a few minutes, Dave's going to come and prepare our hearts to take communion as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. But I want to encourage you with a few things here this morning as the body of Christ. See, as Christians, we're called to be devoted to God. So I want to encourage you to take part in activity this week of taking stock and inventory of the voices that are speaking into your life. We all have them, whether they're people in our own family. There's things from social media that we may hear. There's things on the news things that we read, people we talk to. There's voices that you hear each week that are going to point you to that right relationship with God and a fear of a holy and reverent God. And there's voices that we hear each and every week that point us towards fear of man. So I encourage you to take inventory of those uh, this week. We're also called as Christians to be dedicated to one another. So I encourage you to share as the family of God with a brother or sister this week how Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit has been sanctifying you in order to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit that's pointing us towards a holy and reverent fear of God, the God that created each and every one of you and knows you intimately. Pray with one another together to confess where the times you've been tempted to be drawn to a fear of man and away from the fear of God. And we're also called as Christians to be driven to reach others with the gospel. So as we prepare our hearts for communion, I encourage you as well, Think about who are the people in your life that not only need to hear you speak the words of Christ to them, but to see that lived out in each and every little moment of your life. Not only in those decisive commitments, but in the daily decisions that we meet, make. And in each and every one of those aspects of our life that God would receive the glory each and every day and in each and every moment that we serve him.